You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video for the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blesses our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, Father Hezekiah. Annie, we are gathered together on this day to uh, prepare for the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time as we begin this kind of a new cycle with the Feast of the Holy Cross. We've been talking a lot about this kind of beginning of the church's year. I know we, we in, in more modern times, think of the beginning of Advent as the beginning of the, of the church year. But historically, as I've been saying many, many times, um, it, it really is more focused on the this time period before advent is like a is like a pre-advent it's the mm-hmm. advent to the advent and uh and and so it's really with the beginning of september going back to the ancient roman calendar the secular calendar in which the fall harvest was taken in and so the year is now complete and we now begin our new cycle of the year you know preparing the fields so for planting and all these things and that then influences the church year certainly comes out here in our readings last week and a lot of the things from last week come again this week but even maybe more to the front more obvious and uh but i think that many people not aware of that cycle are going to miss why it is that we're looking at these readings right now because it's not so much the 26th sunday of ordinary time time as it is the beginning of a new ecclesiastical year and these readings have everything to do with that so right. that's my introduction annie let's give them the the references here for those who are writing down your and, and got your bibles open yep get your bibles open and write these down in your notebook the first reading for this weekend is our old friend the prophet amos old amos old old uh, dukes of hazard <laughs> amos chapter six And uh, we're starting with verse 1a and then skipping down to verses 4 through 7. Our responsorial psalm this weekend is Psalm 146. The gospel is our old friend Luke. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And the epistle is St. Paul's letter to Timothy, the first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. So hopefully folks still have some sort of bookmark in Amos and didn't just like, you know, dismiss him outright after after last week. So it won't take them very long to find Amos this week. Right. You got to go if you and if you can't find it like Annie, then you just go to the book of Maccabees and work your way back. Or if your Bible's in a different order, like some that have new Americans, then you're going to have to find mm-hmm malachi and then work your way back from malachi whatever just the the only thing i ask please for god's sake your table of contents that lists all your books your bible 
please. I'm going to get love, Bible tabs. I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm not going to get Bible tabs. The love of anything holy, rip the table of contents out of your Bible because it is just a crutch that you don't need. And it will, and it will cause the spiritual downfall of yourself and those around you when the Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door and you can't find the gospel of Matthew. Yeah. Oh, hang on, Jehovah's Witness. Let me, let me look up my table of contents. Is that the New Testament or the Old Testament? (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's get to it. All right. We gave them enough time to flip around and find Amos. Right there in your Bible. Excellent. Okay. Let's go. We're on chapter six, verse one and then uh, skipping down to verse four thus says the lord the god of hosts woe to the complacent in zion lying upon beds of ivory stretched comfortably on their couches they eat lambs taken from the flock and calves from the stall improvising to the music of the harp like david they devise their own accompaniment They drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the best oils, yet they are not made ill by the collapse of Joseph. Therefore, now they shall be the first to go into exile, and their wanton revelry shall be done away with. I think people are going to get sick of Amos real quick with this kind of. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm not sign me up to Amos. I got a you know, rereading of all of Amos. It's been too long. So I mean, good. this is this is juicy stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we just, I mean, like I said, we just studied him last week. But can you just sort of remind us a little bit of of the context in which Amos is writing? Yeah. And uh, I'm just making a little note in my Bible here, the the collapse of Joseph. Yeah, we talked about this last week. So here's the thing, guys. If you listened last week, you studied, you wrote everything down, and you're sick and tired of hearing me and Annie go on for a whole hour, then you can turn this off. You know what I mean? And you, I'm giving you a week off if you want to take a vacation, because the theme this week is very similar to last week. Although I will say that some things come out a little stronger but I might just be repeating myself. I don't even know because I don't know what I said last week. So if I do repeat myself, it is what it sorry, is. Sorry, not but sorry. For me, yeah. It's worth going back because I don't remember what I did yesterday, let alone last week. All right. So let's go back and take a look at Amos. A few things related to Amos, especially in light of the responsorial psalm that we're going to get because mm-hmm. something comes out that's very important, which I mentioned last week but we got to go further at it this week. And here in Amos chapter six, the, the liturgical committees, I hate liturgical committees, <laughs> like in the lowest regions of hell. Dante didn't know about liturgical committees. And if yeah, he did, he would have put, you know, because they, they stole something from you and you should, you should want it back. Yes. Because what are you going to say mm-hmm. right now? You're going to say, Annie, I know the answer to your question. I know who Amos was. He lived about 750 years before Christ, before the Assyrian army destroyed the northern 10 tribes or took them off to exile. Um, And he was a pre-exilic prophet, right? And he's preaching to the north. And then you say to yourself, like I did when I opened up this text, why in the world is Amos talking? to Sion, right? Mm-hmm. Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, 
Woe to the complacent in Scion. But see, I printed this off, as you did, from the USCCB, even though I have my Bible here. Thank God. Because notice what it says at the top of our USCCB printout. 6, 1, that's chapter 6, verse 1, A. A. Yeah. Palma, verses 4 through 7, which makes you say to yourself, what's missing? And there's yeah. the answer, right? Well, mm-hmm. first of all, what's Zion? What's that? Zion is one of the hills of Jerusalem, the top, the, the tallest hill. Uh, it's where, by the way, the, the mother of God fell asleep in the Lord before she was assumed into heaven. It's the place of the upper room. It's where John lived. It was the Essene quarter at the time of Christ. And then, but going back in our memory, though, you remember in 2 Kings chapter 25 that some of the poorest of the land remained in the land. And they apparently took refuge on this hill and were called Daughter Zion. We've heard that term, Daughter Zion, uh, uh, um, uh, used in re- reference to the church. Mm-hmm. But it's used in reference to the church because the church is the remnant which remains faithful to the Lord while the rest of the Jews crucified him, yes? Right. Uh, or didn't, didn't accept him and, 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 and didn't. Yeah, didn't, didn't, didn't accept the Messiah. So the church is the remnant, much like the remnant that was left in the land at the time of the Babylonian exile. So nevertheless, Zion, because it's the top hill, is also a term that is used to, to refer to all of Jerusalem. Okay. Hmm. And so when we're talking about Zion in this passage, Amos is talking about all of Jerusalem and by extension, all of the, 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 the south, right? The, the group that stayed with Jerusalem versus the north. But notice if we open our Bibles and we don't just stick with the lectionary passage as it is, we read that Amos is saying something bigger than what you might. So my point is, why is Amos preaching against Zion? Why is he preaching against Jerusalem and against the Jews in Jerusalem versus Israel and the 10 tribes in the north? Because I thought that's where he went. But look at the passage 6-1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, in Jerusalem or in the south. And to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. Aha, now the door unlocks because I understand what Amos is saying. He's saying uh, is a broader condemnation. What's yeah. this mountain of, of Samaria? Turn your Bibles with me. Keep your hand on Amos because you're not going to find it back. Turn your, turn your way. First Kings chapter 16. Chapter 16. First Kings. Here we are. Chapter 16, verse 21. Are you with me? Yep, I'm there. First Kings, chapter 16, verse 21. Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Now stop. Who's Israel? Annie? The northern. The northern ten tribes, right? right? We looked back at this break that happened with Jeroboam, remember? Mm -hmm. And Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay, we looked at that last week. So this is the northern 10 tribes that have broken from the throne. Then the people of Israel were divided into two. So there's a schism in the northern two, in, 10 tribes. So there's an, a schism. There's a schism within the schism. From the schism. Yeah. They like schisms. Okay. Well, schism, it keeps the bones strong, you know? Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, and, and half the part people followed Tibni, the son of, Gib, of, of, of Ginath. Uh, to make him king, and the other half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri overcame the people that followed Tibni, the son of, of Ginath. So Tibni died, and Omri became king. Done. 
Sism's over. Sism's like, over. That was, didn't last very I, long. Like, I was in the I was in the airport one time, and I was going to fly to Germany to get to give a, a retreat to the missionaries of charity. And I'm in line to get on the airplane. The lady gets on the thing and says, "Uh, the uh, the the all the airplane people in Germany are declared a strike. We can't load the plane because you can't get off there. Everybody's freaking out." Going up to the thing, counters full of people. I just sat back. I said, this is crazy. So I'm sitting there for five minutes. The lady gets back on the, the, the loudspeaker. The strike is over. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Strike's <laughs> over. We're going to load the plane now. <laughs> okay. So there you have it. That didn't take very long. Omri awesome. becomes king in verse 23. In the third, in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah. Right now, there you have it. Right? Mm -hmm. There's Israel and there's, there's Judah in the south. Yeah. Omri began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for 12 years. Six years he reigned in Tirzah, and he bought the hill of Samaria. Mm. Now, stop for a second, because you guys are thinking to yourselves, I know the Samaritans because I know the story of the good Samaritan, right? Right. Or the story of Jesus going to the well. Yeah, and the, the woman at the woman, well. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, you know that, but that's like the last chapter in the book. Why, who are the Samaritans? What's their story? He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents. So Shemer, Shamer, Shamaria. Right. Aha. Now you know why the Samaritans are called Samaritans. Okay. And he fortified it and so forth. It, become, it, become, it became his throne city. Now, so just like we can talk about Sion being the top hill of Jerusalem and it being then referring to all of Jerusalem and by extension, all of the South. So we can talk about the hill of Shemer or Samaria as referring to the hill upon which the throne city is established, but also the whole region around that throne, as well as the whole Northern 10 tribes. Yeah. So that whole swath of people right in the middle, kind of South of Galilee, north of jerusalem so there you have it there's the samaritans what do you what else do you need to know about them about well do we need to know anything more about them well yeah because it's in amos right the mountain of samaria so let's let's just take a moment here because your priest isn't going to be able to do this from the pulpit we might as well do it here that's the purpose of our study right to make sure we right. have all the tools in our tool belt so this gives us an opportunity for the tools in our tool belt the samaritans then we, we talked about the time of christ are ones left over from this time period of the northern tribes, right? That have not that 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 are not Jews from Judah that have come back from Babylonian exile. They they were in the land. What's their story exactly? Turn back with me to Second Kings chapter fifteen. We're going to go to Second Kings chapter fifteen. We're going to take a look at verse twenty nine. 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of the Assyrians, came and captured Aijon and these other places. Now, we always talk about the Babylonian exile. That's the Babylonians led by Nebuchadnezzar and his captain of the garden, Nebuchadnezzar. Here we have another conquest that happens before the Babylonian exile in the south. This is the fall of the north. Okay. Mm -hmm. Da, 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 Gilead and Galilee and all the land of Naphtali 
and he the people captive to Assyria. So this is the counterpart to 2 Kings chapter 25 when we talk about the fall later on of the south. This right. is the first fall, which happens in the north. And notice what happens. Then Hosea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of this guy, and struck him down and slew him and reigned in his stead. And the whole story continues on to chapter 17, verse 24. Chapter 17, verse 24, and the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Zephyrim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in their cities. At the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations which you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Now you can see these guys are full-blown pagans, right? right so yeah. then the king of Assyria commanded, send one of the priests whom you carried away thence, and let him go and dwell there, and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. One of the people of Israel, right? Mm. Okay. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines. Okay. And look at verse 33. So they feared the Lord, but also served the other gods their own gods after the manner of the nations among whom they had been carried away to this day, they do according to the former manner. So yeah. <laughs> it's a long way of telling you who the Samaritans were by the time of Christ is they were basically Israeli half breeds, right? They were because yeah. what the Assyrians would do is they would go into a place. They would conquer the place. They would take the people away and they repopulate the land with the people. They take these people and go put them somewhere that they didn't know the land they were in now. And therefore they couldn't revolt. So they were mixed. It's like mixed up, right? They're worshiping Yahweh, but they're also worshiping the false gods, which is why, by the way, if you count the number of nations that come here who bring their gods, there's five of them. What does Jesus say to the Samaritan woman? You've had five, five husbands, husbands, and the one yeah. you're with now, who is it's not Jesus, yeah, not your husband, right? So there's that's a whole other Bible study. We're going way too long on this one verse, okay? But at least there's a little background. I hope that was helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So um, back to Amos, then. <laughs> I, never, I never answered your question, which is, who are the complacent? Yeah, well, that's what I want to know. Yeah, yeah. who... So, who are the complacent that he's talking about? Well, so look, I guess not just in Zion, but in Samaria as well. Last, uh, this is where I'm saying last week, this week are very similar, right? Last week, they're saying, they're saying, oh, that we could get done with the Sabbath so that we can go back to our businesses and take advantage of people by selling them things and, you know, not weighing it honestly and charging them more money and all this stuff. Right. It's mentioned that that is the point of downfall. Why? Because they're holding the other in, 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 in slavery, if you will. They're not taking care of the poor, the, those in need. They're holding them in, in a certain bondage financially. And so that's what's going on in all of Amos. Amos is up there preaching. He's like, look, you people driving your SUVs and your Cadillacs and everything, look around you. There's people suffering. And what's worse is that you're the one causing their suffering. 
Hmm. It's not that God hates riches and the things that the right. things of this world are bad. The things of this world are good, but they're given to us for a purpose. Yeah. And that is not to enrich ourselves, but to enrich others with the gifts we've received. Yeah. And that's the fundamental problem is a straw that breaks the camel's back in the north with the Assyrian exile and the Babylonian exile in the south. Look at you, at you rich people, you slave owners, you've held your brother in bondage. You who I freed from bondage to Pharaoh, and more than that, give give you the possibility of freedom from the dominion of the devil. Look at what you've become. You've become in the image and likeness of the one who is the slave master of mankind, the evil one. Yeah, I mean, looking at this, what in the world, why would someone want to sleep on a bed of ivory except to just show off how rich you are yeah i mean that is living in excess i think and then my favorite one which i mentioned last week but yet they are not made ill by the collapse of joseph yeah and again you if you weren't with us last week that's in verse six if you weren't with us last week the reference there is what solomon had done and i'm going back now to first kings and where do i want to go here we go to first kings chapter 11 verse verse 28 you don't have to go there but it was over the forced uh labor of the house of joseph so joseph who had been sold into slavery by his brothers again his sons end up enslaved to the wealthy people right and they're and they and they don't they're not made ill by the collapse of joseph because who's got the land and the slaves it's the guys hanging out on the ivory couches yeah Mm -hmm. so there you have it but I think, Annie, if we can move on from this, because because uh, I think the psalm, response to our psalm is going to bring something out for us. It's fundamentally Yeah, important. I was going to ask, what is it that, that the psalm brings out in this? Well, we got to look at the psalm. Psalm okay. 146. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, my soul. Keep reading it for us there. Blessed he who keeps faith forever, secures justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets captives free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord raises up those who were bowed down. The Lord loves the just. The Lord protects strangers. The fatherless and the widow he sustains, but the way of the wicked he thwarts. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, through all generations. Alleluia. What does that remind you of, Annie? Huh? This, this, this list of things, uh, this give sight to the blind, raise up those who are, are Isaiah. paralyzed. What's Is that? It Isaiah, the prophecy I, in Isaiah. The prophecy yeah. Isaiah. The and, Jubilee. Yeah. And, and, and Luke cha- chapter four, right? So yeah. we don't have to do too, too, too much of this, except that we did start to mention it last week. But here now the church brings this out for us very strongly. Yeah. So just turn with me then to Isaiah 61. Again, if you guys are like, Father, you've been saying this like ad nauseum. I don't want to hear it anymore. That's up to you. But what the church is doing right now is saying, hey, we're beginning a new year. And this new year is a jubilee year, as are all the years for the Christians, because (laughs) we are living in the life of the jubilee. And there you go in Isaiah 61. What's our verse, Annie, right there? Verse one. Go ahead and read it for us, Annie. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, Okay, and that so they on. may so, be called oaks of righteousness. So, so here, so here's this famous passage of of apparently Isaiah prophesying the Messiah, right? Because the Spirit of the Lord is on me. That's the that's the holy anointing, right? That's what right. the word Messiah means, the anointed one. And to be anointed with oil in the Old Testament was a symbol of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so um, and so to say the Spirit of the Lord is on me is say. I'm the Messiah, right? So Isaiah is prophesying the, the restoration of the king. And of course, when Jesus goes in Luke chapter four and rolls the scroll of Isaiah, this is the passage he proclaims, okay? Which is, which is the fundamental answer to the problem that Amos is preaching against, right? Amos is preaching against those who are holding others in bondage, Yeah by rejoicing the collapse of Joseph as slaves of his brother and so forth like that. Jesus then goes and proclaims liberty, the year of release. But what I love about this, Annie, is that when John the Baptist sends uh, his disciples to find out if Jesus really is the Messiah. Yeah. Look what he says. Luke chapter, Luke chapter seven. We're going to have to go to Luke anyways. Luke chapter seven, uh, verse um, twenty. Uh, or verse 18, Luke chapter seven, verse 18. The disciple of John told him all these things and John calling to him, two of his disciples sent them to the Lord saying, are you he who is to come or shall we look for another? And notice, are you the, the, the Messiah that Isaiah prophesied or not? And the, and others prophesied also. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what it, he could have said a lot of things. But what does he say? Verse 21. In that hour, he cured many diseases and plagues and evil spirits and so forth. And then verse 22. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. There's the reference right there. The, 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 the Lord gives sight to the blind. He raises up those who are bowed down, right? They can't walk anymore. And the lepers are cleansed and the deaf here and all, is, uh, all these things. Great things. Jesus's calling card. His, his evidence that he's his, his, his ID, right? His driver's license, his idea that he is who he is, his passport proof is that he does the very things that were prophesied that the Messiah was going to do, which was the revelation of the Jubilee year. It is a reversal of everything Amos is preaching about. So why am I excited about this? Because, and you can go, by the way, and listen to the ICC talk on the Jubilee year that I did some years ago. So a little dated now, but nevertheless, you might learn a few things about it. Why is this important? Because the church places this now in front of us two weeks now. And now it comes out full, you know, maybe even uh, more this week with, with Psalm 146. That the church is saying, hey, this year we're entering, it's the time period we're entering into now is known by this attribute, this, this way of life of, of forgiveness, forgiveness of debt. In the Old Testament, certainly this talked about forgiveness of physical slavery, right? But of course, Jesus says what is physical is a, is a manifestation of a spiritual illness. 
And he's come to free us, not only of the physical illness, but also more importantly, of the spiritual illness. Yeah. Not only to make the man walk again, but to forgive his sins. You remember in the gospel, right? What's the greater work? That I tell him to walk and the paralytic to walk, or I say your sins are forgiven you. Well, the greater work is the forgiveness of sins. But he says that you might know that I have the power to forgive sins, stand up and walk, right? So the, that, the, the physical healing is the revelation of the spiritual reality Jesus has come to give. And it's into him that we are baptized. So we don't talk about jubilee every 50 years or every 25 years or when the Pope decides to have a special jubilee. I mean, these are fine and nice, good. But we are Christians, which means we live in Jubilee because ju the, the year of Jubilee was the restoration of the way things are supposed to be in the image and likeness of God, who grants freedom to man, who grants rest on the Sabbath day, that we might live in his presence with him, worshiping him and loving one another. Yeah. So we are now entering into that reality at the beginning of this year. And so I put this back to you, and I said it last week, I do believe, and that is where there is spiritual debt or spiritual bondage in your life, where you're holding another without forgiving them. My brothers and sisters, this is it now. The church says now is the time to begin because Jesus is coming. You know, the, the, the nativity, and we'll talk a lot, a lot about this more in the coming uh, months. The nativity, the feast of the nativity is understood liturgically as, as one with the second coming. So just as we remember what he did, he's coming again. And whether that is his second coming at the end of time or his coming at the day of your, of your death or his coming on December 25th on the, on the Feast of the Nativity, whatever the case may be, he's coming. And the only way you're going to es like, oh, escape his coming or, 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 or enter into his coming is a better way to look at it to enter into his coming, to be able to receive him, not as judge during executioner, but as liberator, is if you've been willing to liberate your brother, you've mm -hmm. been willing to forgive, you've been willing to pray for another who has maybe wronged you, and ask the Lord to send his grace upon them for their healing, the restoration of a relationship between the two of you. So where that is going on in your life, church is saying, that's what you need to be looking at right now. All right. Mm -hmm. Annie, we need to move on to the New Testament. Well, this would be an interesting transition then, or interesting way to sort of enlighten our reading of, of the gospel mm -hmm. that we get this weekend in uh, Luke chapter 16, and we are reading verses 19 through 31. Jesus said to the Pharisees, there was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and from the netherworld, where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames. Abraham replied, my child, 
remember that you received what was good during your lifetime, while Lazarus likewise received what was bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are tormented. Moreover, between us and you, a great chasm is established to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours or from your side to ours. He said, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, oh no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then Abraham said, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. Mm. Hmm. Lots coming. to discuss here. Uh, the first thing I want to ask, Father, is, you know, we, we skip over uh, a few verses from last week. So we were at the very beginning of Luke chapter 16 last week. Uh, went from 1 to 13, and then we skip over verses 14 through 18 to get to to this particular passage this weekend. So can you tell us about that just to give us uh, kind of set up a little bit more of the context for this particular well, parable? I think we skip over this these couple of verses because there it, it does it gets a, it does get a little confusing. We finished last time with verse 13. And by skip, but it's, it's a little confusing, but again, like when you miss out on a verse or two, you're breaking the thread of an edifying tale. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the thread of that edifying tale that I find to be rather interesting Yeah. because look, I, your, your pastor, your priest is going to preach beautifully this coming Sunday on this parable. Our job here is not to replace his homily. Our job here is to contextualize the passage so that you're prepared to receive the homily and be able to understand it better. You'll get more out of the homily that's given. So I'm not going to spend most of my time in the parable itself. I want to look at verse 14 as part of this context. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all this. Stop the presses. Heard all of what? Because you, 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 uh, how many times I say this, you got to stand inside the story. You can't be standing. You Bible, you know, brothers and sisters, you got to get inside the story and see what's going on around you. If you want to really be a, a lover of scripture and really be sucking the juices out of this thing, get inside it. Hear Jesus talk. See who's standing over here and over there. And, and, and where the mountains are, the River Jordan, and it is on the Sea of Galilee, and the birds flying in the air, or the flowers in the in the field, whatever it is, what's going on? What's it smell like? And if you can get that, you're 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 going to be way ahead of the game. You're not going to helicopter in, okay? And so that's what I need you to do with me for a moment while we go back to a few verses, because this is what I did today in preparation for being together. I said, Gee, there's just too much going on here. You keep going back. All these parables are in a sense a distraction from the under underlying story that's going on. It's, it's hard to see the or hear the, or experience the, the environment when we keep getting interrupted from it. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's get that environment real quick together. And in order to do that, 
I mean, going way back, Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. After his three years, lots of divisions. Pharisees are arguing over here, and the sinners are and, and prostitutes are coming to Jesus. There's lots going on, and the disciples are getting ready. They're heading to Jerusalem. They know he's going to be arrested. Saint Thomas is about to say, Well, let's go up to Jerusalem with them, and we'll die with them too. You know? So, and now Jesus starts talking about rising from the dead because he knows they all know what's coming. He's heading to Jerusalem, and they know that the Pharisees are looking to arrest him and kill him. Okay, so let's let's just take a look back here to to chapter. Uh, I went back to chapter thirteen, verse thirty-one. Chapter thirteen, verse thirty-one. At that very hour, some of the Pharisees came and said to him, "Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you." We talked about Herod yeah, in the yeah. north, and the well, Herod the Great's son, right? And by reference, to go back very quickly to Mark chapter four mark chapter four something like that let's go over there really, really quickly mark chapter four verse six the pharisees went out and no not chapter four verse six chapter three mark chapter three verse six hmm. the pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the herodians that's the herod's you know court against him how to destroy him. So we already know the Pharisees are in bed with Herod. Uh, yeah. Herod's not only Herodias, Philip's wife, but you got the Pharisees in the bed. Okay, I'm, okay you, you get my point. All right. So here we are. Chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler who belonged to the Pharisees. Who's ruling the Jews at this time? The Romans. Romans, yeah. And who's one of the key rulers of the Romans? Herod. Herod. Yeah. yeah. Who's who's? I mean, he's 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 kind of a Jew, but I mean, he's a he's ruling at the at the at the permission of the Romans, right? Right, right. So to be a ruler at the time is to be in with Herod. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so here they are. He goes to this house of this Pharisee, who's playing games with the enemies of God's people. And, and then what does he do there? He sits down at a table with them for a banquet. Right? Right. Look at verse seven. Now he told, well, actually, verse two, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. So now here's the thing. You got the Pharisees, the rich, the guys are, he's ruler, powerful. He's inviting his friends to the party. And now this, disgusting reject comes in to the house and they're going and Jesus is about to embrace him verse seven now he told a parable to those who were invited okay he tells this parable about how a feast is going to really be celebrated properly verse 12 he said also to the man who had invited him when you do a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends and kinsmen and the other powerful Herodians, right? Who are all against Jesus. Then verse 15, when one of those who sat at table with him heard this, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says in verse 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited the end of another parable are going to be eating at my banquet table in the kingdom of god right so okay so then chapter 15 verse 1 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes who had been sitting at the table murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Disgusting. And then, verse six, chapter 16, verse 1, he turns to his disciples to teach them. Right? And now he talks about stewardship. We went over this last week. And now, chapter 16, verse 14, but the Pharisees heard what he said. And now we know more about the Pharisees. They are lovers of money. Right? And now, and, and this it, it informs everything we're talking about. The stewards who had just been mismanaging the money, right, are the very guys that are around him. And Jesus is calling his disciples said, you can't live like that. You can't do that. You cannot hold those guys, the guy with dropsy and the poor man and the sinner and, and so forth in this spiritual debt, physical and spiritual debt. We have been, we, our whole ministry is Jubilee. Our whole ministry is to, is to, is to minister these people to give them release, right? Mm -hmm. So now uh, the Pharisees heard it. And now he begins this next parable, yes, which we need to look at of Lazarus, right? And the rich man. Who is the rich man? It's the Pharisees. There they are. Mm -hmm. See, by missing that, that verse, you just you completely blow, blow the yeah. context right? But I'm going to, I'm going to do another thread in here for you guys that we have to do. I'm sorry, Annie. Oh. It's just these next few verses, which are a little okay. confusing. I'm not even sure Please. I have the right answer, but I'll just point out a couple of things. If you want to go dig at it a little bit, what my eyes are seeing verse 15, but he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart for what is exalted among men is an abomination to the sight of God, which, <laughs> okay. He's still Ooh. preaching at those guys that came around that table. He's got, he must've had a yeah. really bad dinner. Okay. Yeah, no, it was but awful. They, they it was probably like fish things. sticks and yeah, fish sticks. Yeah. It was like, you know, frozen pancakes. Yeah. Okay. Chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. What's the good news of the kingdom of God? It, 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 it's the revelation Damn. of the Jubilee. Yeah. The kingdom of God has been restored. Yeah. And now we're going to live in the light of this gift of God's life rather than a, a, a law written on stone, which you never followed before. But I'll just point out the law of the prophets until John. Notice he mentions John the Baptist. Yeah. And immediately in the next verse, he starts talking about divorce. Isn't it interesting? John got arrested because he condemned what Herod was doing. And who was standing in the court of Herod, but these same stinking guys yeah. who are around Jesus at the time. So again, seeing sight's so important because you, you see around you and you see this, these guys were sitting at that wedding with Herod when they cut off John's head. Yeah. And so I, I there's gotta be conversations going on that, that calls out for Jesus at this moment, this question regarding marriage, but. It wow. takes us a little, it's a little bit of a distraction, maybe to verse 19, in which we jump into Lazarus, in which, again, I don't need to say, to say a lot here, except maybe if you have some questions, Annie. Well, I'm wondering, what is he, well, you, you've kind of teased out the answer a little bit, but let's, let's really dig in. Like, what is Jesus really teaching with this parable? 
What is he really getting at? He's just looking around him. He's looking around him because who's the rich man? Is it not the man who just invited him to this dinner? Who took the first place at the dinner? Who is full of pride? And, and who's the guy standing at the door? But the guy with the dropsy. Is, and that's why I keep saying context, context, because I could preach all day homilies about the spiritual interpretation of this parable out of context of Luke. But it's only when you're in the context of Luke that you can taste it. You can see the guys at the door. And Jesus is right there. And they will, and they walk in and out. And they ignore him. He's been watching it all evening. He watched this guy walk in, cleaning his hands, doing all of the ceremonial washing, how pure and clean he is. But he knows the man is a whitewashed tomb because before he walked that door, he was off at his nine to five job at Herod's, you know, business mm-hmm. office, right? Yep. Doing plotting Jesus's arrest. Now the guy walks in and literally walks over this man. Yeah. So again, these parables are given to us to tell us the truth about what they're seeing. It's, it's in a way it's Jesus can say, look around you by telling the story. He tells the story that's right around him. Tell me what you think about this. I don't know. Like when I saw the, the image of marriage and maybe this is because, you know, you have, I'm, I'm a, I'm a true disciple of father Hezekiah's Carnazzo, I guess. When I when I think of marriage, I, whenever I hear God talk about marriage, I always think of the bigger context of God and His people, and I'm wondering if there's if there could be a bigger meaning to this rich man and Lazarus in the sense that He's looking at the Jews and talking about the Gentiles as Lazarus. Do you think is that like completely yeah. out of bounds? No, it's the Gentiles. Yes. But but clump there are the Gentiles, all those that are rejected. Yeah. All those that are considered second-class citizens, all those who are sick and unable to enter into the temple, all of those that are being ignored. Yeah. Uh, and again, not I want to be very clear about this parable because uh, like you said last week, there's like this preferential treatment of the poor, and so like God mm-hmm. loves poor people. Well, God loves poor people. Because the poor person is hungry to not be poor anymore. Yeah. Right. So, so it's not that he loves, let's, let's be honest. Poverty is not what God wants. He didn't make us for poverty. He made us for the garden of Eden for God's sake. Yeah. Right. He wants us to have every good thing. So it's not the richness of the man that's, that's evil or the poorness of Lazarus, which is his redemptive quality right? Not at all. It's that the rich man's filled himself so much that he no longer can see even the the needy that are around him. And therefore he ceases to be, uh, well, let's, let's talk about in terms of last week, right? He ceases to be wealthy within himself, Mm. right? Because now everything he has has been stolen and being misused for his own benefit rather than for the gift to to serve those around him as god has first served us yeah and that's the real illness here right not that the man is rich but that he's walked by this man day in and day out he step literally had to, he's at his foot his doorstep so he has to step over him to get into his house day in and day out he's stepping over him 
and ignoring him. Why? Because he didn't even see him. He'd become yeah. so self-centered in his life that this man ceased to exist for him. Yeah. And what is the redeeming quality of Lazarus? That he's hungry. He's hungry for not the riches that the rich man has ultimately, but hungry for the things of God. Mm. And, it's got, and in that state, God is able to feed him. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, I have one last question about this passage. Mm -hmm. um, and really, I mean, I guess this will get into sort of homily territory, but I really want you to comment on, on the end of this story where the rich man says, oh, Father Abraham, if someone from the dead will go to my brothers, they'll repent. And then Abraham says, if they're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets, mm. somebody who rises from the dead is not going to, to persuade them. And I guess I want you to comment on it because I, I hear this a lot from people like, oh, if, if God would just come down and speak to me, or if God would just come down and and knock this person over the head, then they would repent. Or you could even say, you know, oh, well, we just need this or that program and it's gonna bring everybody back to church. Right, right. And that doesn't seem to be what Jesus is endorsing. Here. Well, what, the thing is that the, you have to understand the Pharisees are priding themselves on, on following the law. The, who were the Pharisees? They were the daily mass goers, the daily rosary prayers. They were, they were praying, you know, 15 decades of the rosary each day. What they mm -hmm. did was they took the law that was proper to the priests and tried to apply it to all the people. And their idea was that if they got themselves that pure, that they would force God to send the Messiah, right? Or, or maybe let's go on the better side. If the there, God would send the Messiah, right? Sure. Um, and, and yet they got so caught up in the, in the, uh, in the say, trying to follow the letter of the law, they lost sight of what the purpose of the law was. And I keep going back to it because I think it's right. The center of Jesus's ministry is the Jubilee, the forgiveness of debt, because it's the center of what the law is. Because the law is God's will for his people that they live like him. And he is the one who has bestowed his life upon us. We are therefore to bestow our life upon our brothers and sisters. It's the center of everything. So when he says you're not listening to the law or the prophets, it's, be, it's because they're acting in this very way in the scenario that we've been seeing over these chapters. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter. She's been with him for three years now. That's kind of ultimately in the last part, they're not going to, they're not even going to believe it when someone rises from the dead. Yeah. He's been with him for three years. He's walked on water. He's multiplied loaves and fishes. He's healed the, the sick. He's healed the blind. He's done everything that would prove to them that he is the Messiah. And he says, look, I've done all this and you don't believe when I rise from the dead, you think suddenly lights are going to, no, they've become blind and they, they blind guides themselves, as he says, right? Listen to what St. Ephraim says. The Lord compared the priests of the people with him who was clothed in purple. Nothing is more honored than purple clothing. He compared the disciples of the, uh, of the, of the cross with Lazarus. There were none more lowly than Lazarus was. Um, uh, he revealed the name of his beloved ones through Lazarus, his beloved one. He also wished to reveal the name of his enemies through the words, if you do not listen to Moses and the prophets, 
It is not the case that all those living are alive or that all those buried are dead. See, the more the rich man lived sumptuously, the more Lazarus was humbled. The more Lazarus was made low, the greater was his crown. Why should he have seen Abraham above all the just and Lazarus in his bosom? He saw him because Abraham loved the poor and so that he so that we might learn that we cannot hope for pardon at the end unless the fruits of pardon can be seen in us. Hmm. If Abraham, who was friendly to strangers and had mercy on Sodom, was not able to have mercy on the one who did not show pity to Lazarus, how can we hope that there will be pardon for us? The, that man called him my father and Abraham called him my son, but he was not able to help him. Remember, my son, that you received good things during your life and Lazarus evil things. So there's much here to glean from this, this parable. But again, I would say if, if we don't read it in the context of, of the gospel of, of what Luke is trying to get across, that unrolling of the scroll and what's going on around Jesus, then we're going to lose the context and misapply the text. But if we have that, then we can apply this to our own lives and ask ourselves what we would do sitting in that situation. And again, not only to the physically poor, but more importantly, even to those who are spiritually in debt. Yeah. And I think that that could be the link that brings us to the epistle for this weekend in in first timothy chapter six where paul is telling him as a man of god to pursue righteousness devotion faith love patience and gentleness gentleness compete well for the faith he says mm -hmm. let's go ahead and read it but you man of god pursue righteousness devotion faith love patience and gentleness compete well for the faith lay hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made the noble confession in the presence of many witnesses i charge you before god who gives life to all things and before jesus christ who gave testimony under pontius pilate for the noble confession to keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearance of our lord jesus christ that the blessed and only ruler will make manifest at the proper time the king of kings and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, and whom no human being has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Mm. I'm just going to share with you St. Augustine here, because, you know, much of what has been in these parables uh, that we've been looking at in Luke uh, surrounds around money, because it's, it's just a matter of a fact that the people around Jesus that are free to like hang out with him are the uh the, the there's a bunch of rich guys you know and the working man has to basically quit his job he leaves the fishing net and becomes a radical follower of christ and then there's the poor right so that's that's what's going on and jesus is saying look you guys have lost it you've become physically wealthy and you've abandoned the poor around you and and here saint augustine says this as for you, man of God, flee from these things. You see, he didn't just say leave and forsake, but flee from as from an enemy. You were trying to flee with gold, flee from gold instead. Let your heart flee from it and your use of it need have no worries. 
right? Mm-hmm. So is your, if your heart is detached from it, then suddenly it becomes something different for you. Do without greed. Don't do without concern for others. There's something you can do with gold if you're its master, not its slave. If you're the master of gold, you can do good with it. If you're its slave, it can do evil with you. What wow. a warning that is as we begin this, uh, this, this ecclesiastical new time period, if you will, a new, new year, uh, to take a look around and ask ourselves, what do we want to purchase for our lives? We want to purchase the eternal reward. And if so, we must learn to, as we saw in the in the parable last week, uh, we must make friends with the poor. Yeah. Let's, and, uh, and, and take care of those around us. So many ways in which people are poor around us. And I just, if I can just say something about our mission at the Institute of Catholic culture is, is very much a mission to the poor. And so many of the Catholic faithful and, and non-Catholics are suffering from a lack of catechesis of formation in the faith are starving to death. It's why people are leaving the faith because they don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and if they knew what they had in the church, it would never leave. We must teach again and teach with charity and give to others who we find in spiritual need. And that is the, the mission here at the Institute of Catholic culture and your support for our mission is, is a charitable work. So I thank you for that, and uh, we'll continue our mission as long as God blesses us to do so and to prepare ourselves for his blessed coming. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.